Hello and welcome. I'm Jillian Raymond, the co-creator of Juicy Bits and a Coalition Snow ambassador. And I'm Jen Gorecki, your co-host and the CEO of Coalition Snow. For those of you who are with us in season two, we are glad you're back. For those of you who are new, get ready to laugh, cry, and maybe pee your pants a little. Juicy Bits is about taking the conversations that we start on the chairlift and at the trailhead and bringing them to you to explore alternative narratives that challenge the status quo about what it means to be a modern woman in the outdoors. Grab your helmet because sometimes it's a bumpy ride. FYI, friends, this podcast is for mature audiences, so you've been warned. Let's get to work and juice the patriarchy. All right. So welcome, everyone. This is Jillian and Jen with Juicy Bits. Before we get into today's episode, we wanted to let all of you know that we welcome your reviews on iTunes. So after you've had a listen to the show, please head on over and leave us a review. And feel free to reach out to us directly at juicybits at coalitionsnow.com with your thoughts and ideas for upcoming podcasts. Okay, Jillian, as you know, we opened up the manufactured rage room at the coalition clubhouse in Truckee. And, um, we opened it. Well, I mean, really because I'm enraged, uh, daily about many things and I don't really think there's any reason to be quiet about this. And, uh, in case anybody's wondering, like what is the manufactured rage room? Well, Rage rooms are, I guess they're like kind of trending right now. I don't know. It's it's a space where you they're can go. They're all the rage. They're all the rage. <laughs> uh, all the rage. It's a space where, a, a safe space where you can go and let out your stress, let out your anger by breaking shit. So um, we turned a very large closet in our shop in Truckee into a rage room and we have tons of dishes and pottery We've got a face mask and gloves and coveralls and a hammer and really fantastic bullseyes, like one of Trump and one of a man spreader. Um, and I had the, the privilege of being able to test out the rage room and get it ready for the public. And I uh, found great joy in it and highly recommend it because like I said, I'm so angry every, every day and not in like an angry, I don't know what to do with myself anger, but like, I'm Mm -hmm. going to get shit done. And what can I do to make change? Because I am furious about what's happening politically, that our president is doing everything he can to dismantle the institutions in our country. I continue to be enraged about climate change deniers, general mansplaining, and then, you know, there's victim blaming, which is what we're actually going to talk about today. I will say if you need a visual on the manufactured rage room, there is a fab photo in your uh, recent Instagram post um, (laughs) 
from this week of you in the coveralls, in the yes. face mask, with the bullseye. Yeah. And I think it's absolutely brilliant because the idea, if you're not angry, I don't think you're paying attention. 100%. And we don't want you to be so angry that it's like, you know, that it's just you're carrying the weight of the world on your shoulders. I think part of what something like the Manufactured Rage Room does for us is remind us that we're not alone in this anger. It gives us a, a healthy way to channel it. I mean, some people, you know, you can still go to yoga and meditate, but it's just that um, it's just another opportunity is what I would call it. And I think one of the pieces that you just touched on that we're going to get into in today's episode is this idea of victim blaming. And I kind of want to back up for a second where this came from. It was so interesting to me. So I was talking to one of our fans, one of our listeners, she happens to be a dear friend and she's been super swamped in life. Uh, she's a professional. Um, she's, you know, dedicated to her family and, you know, women fucking do everything. So she's just busy, right? We're busy. And she asked me what we were up to on Juicy Bits. And again, she's a supporter and a fan. And she's missed a few. And I was kind of sharing back and forth about what we've been talking about and some brainstorms. So spoiler alert, you know, um, coming up in season three, one of the things we want to touch on is how the patriarchy actually hurts everybody. And that led us to the conversation around um, what was going on with Harvey Weinstein's trial. And the Daily's interview with Donna Rotan. Rotuno, I think I'm saying her name right. And she asked my thought about the lawyer's twisted perspective. And I honestly wasn't sure what she was talking about. And so she sent me a link to the podcast. And I love a good Juicy Bits assignment, you know, and I was instantly fucking so pissed. Jen, I think I left you a rambling long voice message about yes, how mad did. I was. I left yes. her one. I was like literally driving, you know, on this beautiful peaceful road that we have. I didn't even have a reason to be like road rage. And I was just so angry because now Jen, don't hate me. I need to say this at the opening part of this woman's interview, she's, she's a really smart lawyer and she mm -hmm. almost got me in certain pits of her language. You know, I'm a historian, I'm a teacher. I'm, I'm like, like the Academy. I'm like, all right, there is this thing about innocent until proven guilty and like what's happened to our justice system. And she literally twisted my fucking brain. And that's how I realized how more fucked up this is because of how smart and twisted she is. And thankfully it faded as soon as she started to say and spout the like such hateful and effed up stuff. And that was kind of my challenge. We've got this smart lawyer and she's completely missing understanding of sexism and oppression and historical context. And I know we're going to get into part of the analysis, but I just needed to kind of put that out there. Like as this defense attorney, I was like, man, you are fucking scum. And that sounds really harsh, but we'll, we'll let our listeners decide at the end what they think as we kind of clue them in if they weren't aware, like I wasn't. And then I was kind of glad, again, you're not angry, you're not paying attention. Yeah. Well, let's, let's give our listeners a little bit more context here. So Donna Rotuno is the defense attorney for Harvey Weinstein. Harvey Weinstein is the Hollywood exec who's been accused of um, multiple instances of rape, sexual misconduct, um, abuse, and he is pleading not guilty. So she is representing him. Um, her and, and you can actually go to the New York Times and you can listen to this entire podcast and they also have a transcript. And mm -hmm. um, they her her main defense is that it is not illegal to sin. So sinning is not illegal. And so Weinstein might, might have sinned, but all of these encounters were consensual. And to Jillian's point, she does make a valid point that we do live in a, in a 
in a country where we are innocent until proven guilty. And that is one of the institutions that is important to uphold. With that said, when you actually get into the language that she's using and some of the things that she is saying in defense, it becomes really clear that not only is she factually incorrect, which we'll Mm. get into in a second, she's also misogynistic and she blames victims and, mm-hmm. and blames mm-hmm. women for mm-hmm. being raped. So let's, let's, um, let's get into that. Should we, should we start with the first, the first piece? Yeah. And I think so much for, again, for our listeners too, and like our purpose and what we get to do, Jen, when we come together is highlighting this because despite advancements we've made through the Me Too movement, voices and experiences of women are still largely being marginalized. And it's about people interested in maintaining the status quo and kind of perpetuating these sexist and oppressive oppressive views. And it really helps them line their own pockets. Like it's so sick how it comes down to money. And, and I want to get into the interview, but I appreciate what you said kind of in one of her defenses. The other piece is she has sort of made a name for herself in being like this male ally in like defending men and she's built it on the backs of other women. So it's also, it, to mm, me, mm-hmm. and again, I don't want to give her too much, but I almost then part of me feels bad for her that I'm like, God, you've internalized so much self-hate. So we'll, we'll again, we can save that for another episode. So yeah, let's, let's dive in here. Okay. So once again, if, if you head on over to the New York Times, you can listen to this podcast. You can also read the transcript. And one thing that she says in this podcast uh, is that the justice system favors victims. And this is factually incorrect because there is data from the FBI that number one, only 30% of reported rape cases are ever cleared. And meaning that only one in every three cases, there's an offender identified and charged with the crime. But that doesn't actually mean that the offender is found guilty. So in rape cases, only 1% have actually led to felony convictions. So her claim that there is injustice against men because the system favors victims, there's actually no data to support that. And that's the very first thing that she says that is uh, alarming. And once like, you know, it's, it's a shame that people create knowledge that isn't true and that's that's what she did here yeah and in and in, in a court of law and in, in a powerful position like she holds and i think you have to do a fair amount of schooling to like go to law school and pass the bar and then like be a practicing attorney i mean there's things that go into that so i'm like where along the lines again speaking about favoring victims she speaks to um her perspective on this case where she's limiting it only to this criminal case. Like her job is to decide whether or not, you know, this is a crime. And she says that she's going to, that she, she's not letting all the other things that have ever happened influence her. And that to me, I think is so dangerous because it removes the entire context around one women feeling like they actually could identify rape as like a crime against them. You know, whether it happens to girlfriends or wives or it happens silently where women feel like in a situation where they do not have the ability to 
fight back for a variety of reasons. And so I think that whole part of her argument to me is also really unfortunate and it's also really dangerous because it removes an ent- hundreds of years of history, thousands, if you will. And that's another piece where I just don't think she's doing, gosh, she's not doing us any favors, but she's just really serving, she's just serving the wrong side of this. But right. Well, just, okay. just because you're incredibly oh, intelligent and successful doesn't mean that you're morally just. I mean, I think that that's what this comes down, yeah. comes down to. So let's, let's get into another thing that, that she says. So her, another one of her arguments is that these, these interactions with her client were consensual and that mm-hmm. the women, all of these women knew exactly what they were getting themselves into. And I want to quote her. She says, women cannot be equal if women don't start taking on equal risk. Women want men to take on all the risk. They want to then put themselves in whatever situation they're in and then walk out and say, oh my God, I had no idea that was going to happen to me. And then she goes on to say, we know that if women stand up and say, I'm not going to take this, I'm not going to do this, then you have other options. Sorry. Okay. Yeah, and this- <laughs> yeah, sex is conventional wisdom that has plagued women for centuries, right? Analogous to she wore the short skirt, right? So she was asking for it or she deserves it. And it's like this talk about going back to sharing equal risk or taking on blame. I don't think women always other have always have other options. What's the one example she gives in the interview with this in this instance with Harvey Weinstein and the powerful position he had in the industry to like make or break stars. And she was so adamant that she's like, if somebody would have said no to Harvey, there would have been, Ugh, I don't want anyone to say that. I hate how she uses his name to try to like humanize him to Harvey Weinstein. Then like 10 other producers would be lining up on the, like to hire that person. And I'm like, hmm, I don't really think it works like that in the entertainment industry. I'm like, I think you have the power to potentially like blacklist people and make well, their whether- lives miserable. Yeah, and whether it's like whether it works that way or not in in entertain like neither one of us actually works in the industry, but there's been um, ample uh, number of women and and men who have stood up and, and spoken about this, and you know, but the the for me like the major problem with what she's saying is that the question for me is do women always have other options, and who has these options? So. Clearly in Hollywood, and we're talking about people getting roles in films, there's a certain level of of privilege wrapped up into that experience. But let's be honest, there are plenty of women because of their economic situation, their race, their religion, where they exist in this world, where they physically locate themselves, where they don't have other options. And this simplistic thinking that all you have to do is say, I'm not going to do this and everything will fall into place. Yeah. If, if you honestly believe that, and if that is the way that your life has worked, you exist in a bubble of privilege that I, mm-hmm. I would like to join you because yeah. I'm a privileged, <laughs> I'm a, I'm a cisgendered middle-class educated white woman. And even I don't exist in that world where I simply just say, I don't want to do this and a million other options unfold. So, mm-hmm. so her, her argument to say all that these women needed to do was stand up and say, I'm not going to take this mm-hmm. is, doesn't even exist in 
reality. And and to furthermore, she's shouldering women with the burden of you take on risk, you change the mm-hmm. the, the the culture. What I have to say to that is, I would like to see men change the culture. They are the ones who fucking created the rules. They created the culture. They created the systems. Sure, we play a part in that. And and clearly you and I believe in being outspoken about this. But this is not solely our issue to resolve. We need the individuals with the power to actually change all of this. You know what's interesting that I'm thinking about as I'm like like re-looking at part of her transcript, if she goes on to say, we know that if women stand up and say, I'm not going to take this, you have other options. Well, you know what? Part of this case is women standing up and telling their stories in reliving trauma in a super intense way to be like, we don't want to take this anymore. We're not going to take it. And I think that talk about taking on risk that takes on huge risk to be able to tell your story. I want to, I love the the quote that you shared in the beginning in relationship to, or the, the stat, I'm sorry, Jen, with like the FBI and the amount of reported rape cases. I think of so much work that I've seen in secondary and in higher education related to sexual assault is that women often feel afraid to come forward. They're afraid to name their accuser because they won't be believed or they're afraid that there'll be worse ramifications. They kind of just hope that it's going to go away. And so I think in this whole, her whole like little twisted way of doing stuff, she's actually in one breath being like, yeah, stand up and say, I'm not going to take this. And then she's like, okay, now you stood up against something happening to you and standing up for other women. And then there's going to be people like me that's going to come in and defend the other side and try to take down your story. Well, she, she also says, this is another one of her, her gems. We have created a society of celebrity victimhood status. We have created a a society where women don't have to take any responsibility for their actions. And I I just feel like you and I are going to repeat ourselves, uh, (laughs) about how uh, do do we live in a society where women don't take don't have to take responsibility for their actions and what women are we talking about because I don't know I see trans women being killed all the time because they are saying I'm a trans woman this is how I'm going to live I don't know living your truth and then being murdered that seems like the highest level of responsibility that mm-hmm. you could take um, this this notion that women don't have to take responsibility for their actions. I don't live in that world. I live in a world where I continue to see that it's men. Men, by and large, still don't have to take responsibility for their ac- actions, and we're seeing that in this particular case. Um, and we see it all the time, whether it's a daily interaction with other people, or it's something that's receiving this, you know, national and international attention where men, men still don't have to take responsibility. Um, And this, I think she also, she's clearly, she's clearly never, um, and and she will get into this uh, next, but she's never, she's not a survivor of sexual assault. And so she actually doesn't know what it's like to be a person who's experienced that and then to publicly report it. And then the ramifications that come from that. So to say that we have celebrity victimhood status, once again, is blaming victims and creating this narrative that being a victim is something that actually gets you places where it really doesn't. 
Um, and the should we get into the, like the kicker? Yeah, I think so. It's like the fucking kicker. And this is the one I think. So I think I was like pulling into the parking lot of all things. I'm going into like pull in and like ski a few laps and kind of just like have a little, you know, mama time, go teach my yoga class, like very Zen mountain places. And I am fucking like enraged. And the guys with this little like parking wand and I'm like, get the fuck. All right. So yeah, yeah this is the fucking say- kicker that almost had me drive into the side of the road. And I think it's worth, you mentioned this, like, should we read the entire exchange um, between the, um, between Megan and her? Right. Well, I, oh I just want to say, number one, you cannot Ugh. namaste yourself out of this shit. Okay. You cannot. No. This is so no, This awful. is rage room required. And, and number two, we really need to give credit to the reporter, Megan Tuhi who mm-hmm. not only was one of the individuals who broke this case, uh, but also was the person who was interviewing Rotuno and had the foresight to, and, and brilliance, Megan Tui is brilliant to have asked this final question in the interview. Yeah. And, the and I have question- to say, her questioning and her poise and her tone, she is cool, cool queen. Like, so cool. Yes, brilliant, but... I could not believe every time she spoke, I was like, all right, she's bringing me back down. All right. I'm going to like, listen to her words. So yeah, again, absolutely. I wonder if she had this prepared or it was off the cuff. Super professional. I don't, I don't know. But the, the question that she asked was, have you been sexually assaulted? And Donna Rotuno, the attorney said, I have not. And then Megan, Megan doesn't even she just says, okay. And Donna says, I have not. Mick says, okay. And then Rotuna says, because I would never put myself in that position. And Jillian, why don't you read what Megan so, Tuohy's response was? Megan responds, so you're saying, oh, okay, actually, I'm sorry. So you're saying that you, you're saying that you've never been sexually assaulted because you would never put yourself in the position of being sexually assaulted. So again, no. she kept it professional and cool, but it was like the pause, you would never put yourself in the position of being sexually assaulted. And right. then what so does then Donna say? Donna says, oh. no, I've always made choices from college age on where I never drank too much. I never went home with someone that I didn't know. I just never put myself in any vulnerable circumstance ever. Megan. Do you believe that every woman who's been sexually assaulted somehow put herself in that position, whether it was having drinks or agreeing to go to a hotel room? Question mark. And Rotuno responds, absolutely not. But just as we make smart decisions when we walk out on the street at night, I think you have to make the same decisions when you're putting yourself in circumstances with other people. When we walk out at night, we look around. We make sure we have our phone. Some people take mace. We take precautions. And all that I'm saying is, is that women should take precautions. So here we are back at the place where women shouldn't wear short skirts. They shouldn't go out at night. They shouldn't drink. They shouldn't talk to a stranger. You should have keys in your hand, phone, mace. And if you don't abide by these strict rules to air quote, protect yourself, anything that happens to you is your responsibility. 
And that's how, that is how this interview ended. And this is the type of human being who is represent, this is, this is a human being who's representing men who assault women. This is the thinking, this is the, the thoughts and the, the processes that go into representing this, these offenders. And you have to ask yourself, and you know, this is where Jillian, you and I will never actually know this is, does Rotuno actually believe all of this? Or is she just so fucking good at her job that she will say whatever it takes to get her client off, which is her job, and then Mm -hmm. collect the massive fucking paycheck she's going to get one way or the other, you know? But I don't know. Like, how do we live in a time where women believe this and, and... say say these things and say them publicly and once again like she is she is attempting to shape public opinion about this by blaming victims and throwing women under the bus well and jen you and i come at this with um, a privileged lens as you spoke to myself cisgendered female caucasian middle class educated And I can look at this and unpack it, get fucking pissed and like know that that's not me, that I do not have to be like that person. But again, she's representing one of the most powerful men in the world, completely all over social media, all over mainstream media. So if you're someone that might not come at it with a critical eye and you're getting, like you just said, these reinforced strict rules that, well, you went out past dark and you had like a glass of wine and you didn't look over your shoulder. So that person who pulled you in to um, that car or that dark alley or that person you know that took advantage of you, that was you put yourself in that situation. That message, it's like she's reinforcing that and reinscripting it. And all it does is like perpetuate that narrative that we try so hard to to dismantle and to change and to reimagine a way that we could live where that, again, a shared responsibility. And I also think, and we'll get into this and the patriarch hurts everybody, it's not fair to assume that all men are predatory, but then it basically sets this up that like you've put yourself in any vulnerable situation, that's your fault. And it's like, how limiting is that on us, on personal freedoms, on safety? It's taking so much away from work that's been done. And I think not only is it like rage room stat, like, please, I should be like getting off the phone and driving there right now. Is it also, it's like the ripple effect of this is just, it makes me ill. Like it makes me physically sick. You might need like a rage room and like a puke room. It's true. Well, and you know, in, in this particular case, what she's saying is that these women knew what they were getting themselves into when they went to his hotel room. And by simply walking through that door, anything that happened thereafter was consensual. And that's such a convenient argument, given that Weinstein was known for holding all of his meetings in hotel rooms. Like, talk about a predator. Talk about creating circumstances in which he could abuse women. Mm-hmm. Everyone went to meet with him in hotel rooms, but only Mm -hmm. certain people were sexually assaulted. And this idea that by existing in this world and walking through a door, that that is, that that is consent actually defies law. Mm -hmm. Oh, the best part when talk about like law and consent, when she goes on to say, Donna um, Rotuno goes on to say that any I don't want to butcher this, any either relationship or like date or meeting she had, she would sign like a consent form. 
that she wouldn't get engaged with anyone to like, that's how she would protect herself. So then another layer. So then what we as women now, if I want to have a meeting with someone of the opposite sex somewhere like at a restaurant or in a hotel room, I have to bring them a piece of paper to sign that we're like consensually speaking to each other or that I just, I can't even get my, wrap my brain around her arguments and how she's twisting them to constantly putting it back on the backs of women and not holding any responsibility on the part of men. It just completely, again, it's like the head executive, the head of our executive brands. Like you can do whatever you want. You are above the law. You're, you, you just conduct yourself in the way you want to and we'll, we'll adjust and we'll change and we'll suffer and we'll be the victims. I mean, good luck. Ah, we, well, like, we might as well Mike Pence this shit and just never go anywhere without like a man accompanying us, you know, like it mm-hmm. is, um, it is ridiculous. So, you know, this is, this is the current, current situation, uh, one of many, <laughs> That has really fired up uh, both Jillian and myself, and we just wanted to take this opportunity on Juicy Bits to use this you know, international court case to highlight some of the thinking and the perceptions that affect all women and, and certain women more than others um, in their daily lives. So whether or not you follow along with this case... Um, you know, these are issues that we're still facing and it's important for us to, I think, be vocal about this mm-hmm. and not allow these narratives to exist in the world without these critiques. So mm-hmm. I hope that everybody today um, has, uh, if you are similarly enraged, that you feel like us. We're like, this is something where we feel like we can take action versus being more distraught and feeling like there's no, no hope. Like that's not our goal. Our goal is, is to really say like, we have an opportunity to use our voices and we have an opportunity to take a stand. Um, and that is something that, you know, at Juicy Bits or at Coalition Snow or in our personal lives, we're going to continue to do. Thank you, Jen. Sorry. I just like had to take a breath there because it's like fucking A. Yeah, because now the word it's like let let you know let the games begin. It's like it was what? It was like a quick, that was like quick timeout. Okay, get it out and then go do the work. So whatever your work work is, yeah. I hope that again the anger is not something that I hope it's facilitative. And then please reach out to us if you have uh, comments or questions on this episode or any of our episodes as we're kind of halfway through season three and um, we look forward to hearing from you. And in the meantime, let's get to work, motherfuckers. All right, thanks everyone. 